Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. 
We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello. A couple of months ago, I went around Marika's house for a cup of tea and an hour of career-spanning storytelling. We start at the beginning with this chat from going to college in Brighton and then being picked up by Dirty Hit and signing with Transgressive, looking at her big picture of 10 years, three albums, and how she chops her vegetables. Her self-produced covers album is coming out this Friday. She talks about how she made that between two homes and where she's at with her career at the moment in general. You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. If you like this show, please let your friends know. That would be awesome. East London Signature Brew have been brewing music-inspired beers since 2011. You can get your beers delivered over lockdown right to your door. All their beers are on signaturebrew.co.uk and with the voucher code 101 podcast, you can get 10% off of all orders. All right, so this is Marika Hackman on 101 Part-Time Jobs. Go well. Cheers. Oh baby, strange and I don't know what's going to happen to the whole live sector because it's going to be the last thing to come back and you think about all the booking agents all the people who work in venues and run venues the venues themselves um, all crew members all sound engineers like roadies that whole world like lighting engineers no one's allowed to do them what I I found playing in bands before is that that when we got a booking agent I found that we had or I had this weird level of responsibility that I didn't have before that and it it gave me the wiggles sometimes. Right. Did that? Did that? Does that? Has that happened with you at all? No. Is it because you're close with them and, and you chat to them? Uh, not even. I mean, yeah, close enough. But it's kind of. I just feel like that's always been a, a part of the world that's yeah. kind of just taken care of, and right. I don't feel like a pressure because of that, which is nice, I suppose. But that's probably the way I just kind of came into it. Just rolled, rolled in. Yeah, I mean, because this podcast is about how people well roll into it and then roll through it, maybe yeah. roll out of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, and it is like a thing, you know, £50 support fees yeah. is never going to change. Yeah. So that kind of financial like aspect of it, yeah. that's what I kind of want to dig into and get yeah. basically stories yeah. from those moments where either, either you're like, oh, this is actually working. Or it's or, not, <laughs> which is more the story of my life. But really, yeah, perseverance is the story of my life. So right, or my career, not maybe my life so much. My whole shtick, like from when I first started in the kind of music industry aged... 19 I suppose was like I wanted to have a long career like that was the aim it's like I want to have a long career um anything moving like in the right direction at whatever pace is good enough for me like I don't want to have a big spike and then you know like burst into something and then a burnout so with that in mind um it's kind of that thing of like just sticking with it and as long as I'm able to do it like I have to keep pushing but it's it's a lot of uh talking myself back into making records or talking myself back into going on tour because it's like I've been doing it for 10 years and it's it grinds you down which sounds like such a cliche but it really fucking does and it's like there's a very much a view from the outside that if if you get played on the radio and if you play at Glastonbury and if you go on tours and if you tour America right you've made it you must be rolling in it um and like 
you're a rock star and it's wild and it, that is like categorically untrue and I think particularly like if you're a solo artist who has to tour with a band I mean the costs are just like astronomical and I've never earned off at all really I've been doing this for 10 years I've never earned off at all I've, I can break even on a UK tour like wow that's it so but I still have a career and I'm still making records and I still you know I've put out three three albums alongside another like four or five EPs in and around all of that um so yeah it's just a really strange industry because it's like the longer you've been doing it like the however hard you work you know in most careers you work at something for a long time and you work really hard and you move up and you get a promotion or you get a pay rise and you're kind of moving through any other job right yeah but this one there is no like sum of like hard work plus like time spent equals success and like monetary kind of um safety you just don't know where you stand at any time i mean guitar music in general i don't know anything about the electronic world yeah i think mm, that's an interesting one because obviously i think with more like the more electronic side of music especially when you get into more like the dj side of things or the production dj mixed kind of stuff which is like what my brother used to do oh right Um, when you're touring, touring that, you know, and to, like playing big club nights and events and things like that, all you do is rock up with a laptop or like a USB or whatever. So your costs are minimal, like so, so minimal. And also the kind of hospitality within that whole circuit is like off the chain. Like they will put you in amazing hotels, you get huge fees. But it makes me think like why, I mean, less people, it's not like less people are listening to guitar music. No. Is it? I mean, going to the Astoria 13 years, did you grow up, where did you grow up? Oh, I'm south of London, like, as in south of London, not south London. Would you grow up going to... Going to gigs around your area, were there? Not really. There? It was kind of middle of nowhere vibes. I mean, I went to like some bigger shows and stuff. Like, yeah. um, I had an interview the other day, and it's like my first, my first actual gig that I went to. I think it was Destiny's Child, but that was they came, they came to like Portsmouth or something. Yeah, like, so yeah. I one of the big like venues there, and I went and watched them play. So that kind of stuff, like yeah, or like mum and dad might take us to something like once in a while. And those uh, tickets would be like forty quid, fifty quid, yeah. which is obviously like what £100 is now almost yeah, it feels completely. like that yeah, yeah, yeah. but tickets have gone up I mean I'm not, not just Glastonbury you know I was thinking £10 tickets to the Astoria is now probably 15 well so you don't want to like push fees too high as well because I think people don't you get it's just a worry that people won't pay to come and see a show right. so as soon as it goes over like 15 quid people start going oh it's a bit steep yeah because you know you're going to spend 50 quid on beers yeah because Tuborgs are fucking £6 <laughs> Oh, that's giving me like festival. Oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like it's a it's an interesting one because it's a conversation I've been having a lot recently is like about um, the devaluing of artists and the devaluing right. of music itself. And yeah. it's become this commodity within this industry that is just like trading off of um predetermined like consumer ideals like so what everyone is already listening to is what Mm. everyone wants to play Mm -hmm. so you have the you have the consumer dictating what's being pushed to them because of all of the ways that algorithms work right and it's like there's actually nowhere in the middle for that to music for music itself or artists to have an identity that kind of punch through unless they get sucked into a whirlwind of a a certain kind of algorithm if you're an artist you obviously want to Go, you know what you, you want to progress yeah and the way to progress is finding new fans and yeah. so you kind of accidentally get magnet you know b- b- brought into that kind of thing like oh we should be doing this not yeah. that and 
you don't have someone like sounding like King Crimson right now, probably yeah. because of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's right? like it's it's probably like too niche and it's not going to have the same interaction. And because labels aren't going to sign you unless you've already got a lot of Spotify stats. Like if your Spotify stats are really good, they'll sign you. Or like if you've had a big YouTube hit, and it's like everyone's just looking at the consumer first yeah. and not going with what they actually believe in and what they want to push because they think it's and it makes something new. It's exciting. I mean, that's a generalization, and also there are boundaries that get crossed with that like in terms of like the Venn diagram where it's kind of that sweet spot that really works but it's very frustrating like one of the things I find really frustrating about Spotify in particular is on your artist page the top 10 tracks that come up are the ones that have just been listened to the most currently so again anything that's driven towards your page any traffic that's taken towards your page those are the ones they're still going to click on because they're being listened to the most right now. But that's not what I want people to listen to the mm. most right now. I want them to listen to my latest release the most. Mm-hmm. I want to put that at the top of my page. That's the record I've just come out with. I'm trying to promote it. But Spotify doesn't let you do that. Well, you've done quite well with your records sounding <laughs> different like, yes, yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. They're very different. Do you, and do you, do you kind of recognise that? Do you see like you kind of gotten away with it in a way? Um, in some ways, yeah. I mean, I think... I think I'm, I'm very happy that I've done it that way because I've always set out to do that and I think it's, it keeps it exciting for me and it makes... And for the listener, it keeps it exciting for me, you know, yeah. everyone else. It's great. Like, no one knows what I'm going to do next is quite a nice thing. It's also quite nice for me to kind of sit back and know that no one knows what I'm going to do next. So it yeah. takes the pressure off a bit. Um, and I'm not really ever worried about, like, losing fans in that way because, you know, people can always just listen back to the first record or the second record or whichever one connects with them the most. I haven't, it's not like you remove music from people by releasing something that's different. It's it's funny how everyone seems to react like that, but yeah. they can still listen to it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of part of how I imagined having a long career is also kind of like shaking it up and not not pandering to the listener because like as soon as you put that in your head when you're writing, it's so destructive. It's like awful. In fact, I'm writing album number four right now and I'm finding it very difficult to pull myself out of that headspace. I think it might be something to do with like having not been able to play live shows, like meet people, connect in that way and kind of assert myself in a physical presence. Like, because it makes you kind of feel more confident, I suppose. Especially in the lyrics, because on the third record, it was, (laughs) I've read in a few interviews how, you know, you spent that sort of decade, best part of a decade, maybe kind of keeping keeping your cards close yeah and then the third record is is you know is so, like there's so many turns of phrases there yeah you know like I didn't know what venereal meant before yes. that I was like that's <laughs> so fucking good and you know BDE is you know yeah. it's a classic you know I think that's that and I wonder if um there's like there's a kind of mystery to that yeah I think because especially in a world of social media as well well, I think, you know, again, your your social media is, like, strong, I feel. I keep it quite quiet, and then I just, like, hit something. Right. <laughs> Punchy, I mean, like, my And is that it. something you've kind of had to think about? I mean, artists have to think about that now, don't they? It's yeah, part of the yeah. job. Yeah, I mean, I was told when I was 20 that I had to get an iPhone because I had to get Instagram because I was a musician and I had to do that. Whereas uh, up until I was 20, I had a Sony Ericsson little crappy phone, which I was perfectly happy with. Yeah. Um, I've never, ever wanted to have any of these things. and But I understand... Um, it is a kind of necessary evil. And I think I missed the boat. I think if I'd started releasing music maybe four years earlier, I could have then been one of those artists that doesn't do that because you've mm. already kind of established yourself. Yeah. But it's too late. Once you start doing it on your first, you know, your first EPs, then you're screwed. You've got to stick with it. You can't just delete it all. Right. And I don't know anyone who's who's an artist who has, who like can get someone else to do that for them. <laughs> yeah. it's. I think people also, like if you're going to do it, do it properly because people can tell when it's like, 
management teams like releasing stuff on behalf in the voice of the art and it's kind of people have all of this stuff because they're looking to connect which is really grim in a lot like if you think about it but if you're then kind of just giving quite like uh sterile yeah we can smell the bullshit can't you yeah exactly you can even like even if you really don't know know that person at all you're a bit Mm. I think we're the similar age, like 28, 29. Yeah. And I wonder if people who are five years younger than us, just like their language in the internet, it's probably so much better than us. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, if anyone can smell bullshit on, online, it will be fucking Gen, Gen Z will be all over it. Right. It be. I think, like, uh, yeah, I think we're kind of the generation that's um, got a bit muddled up in it all without mm. having it kind of as part of our DNA, like growing into it because when you were 20 what were you doing around then you did you did an art course in Brighton right yes so that was yeah when I was 19 I did my art foundation in Brighton it's quite easy to to kind of brush over those early years yeah you know I think to a lot of fans a band they like or an artist they like went to art school and oh it just happened but Mm -hmm. was it how easy really was it um it was kind of emotionally tough um it's funny I kind of always knew when I was a kid that I was would be a musician and not in a kind of arrogant way. I just had a feeling the mm. whole time. And I knew it was something I really wanted to do. But I also really enjoyed doing art. And that felt in terms of like academic stuff and carrying that on and doing a degree. That was felt more appealing to me than doing anything music based. Because I'm, I'm kind of always just got on with music on my own. and quite private about it. And um, so I did my art foundation and I realised I didn't really want to go to uni. And I kind of thought, you know, if I want to be a musician, I should probably started now I was already doing gigs like I started doing gigs when I was 16 so I was like playing the odd show in either London or Brighton or whatever was that as Marika Hackman yeah 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 like Great. really really old stuff yeah. like songs that I've never and booking seen your own shows life. through yeah. MySpace MySpace yeah, yeah exactly so it was all through it would all be through MySpace or Facebook or sometimes SoundCloud and then did that come natural to you reaching out to people and being like hey I do this it was actually not to sound incredibly smug but it was the other way around Mm. Most of the time. So it would be people contacting me and being like, oh, here comes the housemate. Um, people contacting me to ask if I could play at a club night or whatever. I mean, they were all like small shows. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was kind of where I was at. And I basically decided to not go to university and just take a leap of faith. Um, and it, it just worked. It, it paid off. It kind of like my parents moved down into to Devon. So... I was kind of pulled way out into the countryside. Like everyone else was going to university around me and I had no plan. And it was like very daunting. And I felt pretty bleak for a while about that. Following them down to this new place, age like 20, where you're not going to like make new pals in the countryside. It just like doesn't happen. And yeah, it was a really weird time. And I was trying to get jobs in like restaurants and pubs locally and stuff. But unfortunately, I didn't get any jobs. Um, But I was still playing gigs and... What happened? I Burberry got interested after I posted a video a friend of mine was doing. It was called the, like the Bristol Couch, um, and he was just doing videos of people in his big red inflatable couch playing acoustic right. sessions. You know, it was Johnny a really big thing. He might have. I think he did a London Burberry thing. Oh, so yeah, he was doing Burberry stuff, but this was this. So this was like a separate thing that a friend was doing that then Burberry saw, liked, and they basically. I did like a, like like those music session things that they do. Then I met another guy that was there who was with another band. He was a manager. His name is Jamie Oborn. He went on, he started Dirty Hit. He was there. 
we started chatting. He really liked the track I was playing. He got in contact. We started having some meetings. At the same time, through Johnny Flynn, Transgressive, um, he played them some of my music. And then they booked me to support him on a show, which was amazing because... Um, like, I already knew him anyway as a person, but I've always just been a really big fan of his, so that was a yeah, really nice too. moment. I think, the wrote, I think the wrote and the writ, it's just... Oh, I fucking love I that I can't song. believe how good it is. Yeah, that's, that's like, my favourite Johnny Flynn song. Yeah. Um, and then, off the back of then supporting Johnny, him kind of talking me up like an absolute legend to Transgressive, they booked me for another show, all came and watched it. And so then, by this point, I had... Um, transgressive who wanted to publish me which was amazing so then I had a publishing deal on the table and then I had management coming in from Jamie uh, all in red slash dirty hit coming in to like put out records and this was all kind of by the next like February after I finished art college in like June or whatever so I had that like seven months of it kind of everything being up in the air and just like chugging along and presumably you didn't have time to do anything else you didn't have time to look for odd jobs no, yeah, so th- I wasn't getting any, like, stopgap pub jobs, and then suddenly it became very apparent to me that, like, it wasn't going to necessarily be something that was the priority. Yeah, And yeah. obviously getting a publishing deal, great, because that's... I've basically been... Obviously, I've had advances from labels through the years with every album I've released, but I've really just been living off my publishing for, like, this whole time. And how does that... Because publishing is... It's like syncing, right? So getting in TV shows, movies. Yeah. But, but what's the other like, side of it? Well, it's basically... I mean, they you get money in advance, much like a label would give, that mm. then, you know, you have your margin split about, like, after you've paid a certain amount back and all of that. But, um, yeah, their job is to try and get you onto, like, adverts and get you big syncs and movies and things like that, like, Netflix stuff or whatever. Um, and in the meantime, they're also taking a cut of the royalties that you get from anything where your music is... Anything you've written is played, so radio play and things like that. But obviously... I also still get a cut of PRS and mm-hmm. also paid for me to basically live and write. So it kind of right, right. works. And that's like the that. fascinating side of it. I think that, I think not many people know that, that there is that just exactly what these conversations I'm doing are about is like the living side of it. Yeah. So that must've been such a huge vote of confidence, the transgressive. And there's that yeah. lovely transgressive uh, YouTube documentary. Oh yeah. It's like the 25 minute long one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Blind Avon, you know, young band, and yeah. you can kind of just see that the people that run the label, yeah, they're yeah, like, yeah. we like it. We're just going to... They're a really good bunch of people. And they they actually manage me now. So, like, they've been managing me for the last, like, two record cycles I've put out. Um, and are, still are, hopefully. <laughs> so I get a phone call this afternoon. And, um, yeah, they're just... I mean, the way they run their label, I, I haven't, like... I'm not so much part of the label side of things. So I'm publishing and management. But, like, mm. I just think they are really, like, incredible in their vision that they have with artists and also how much they like stick to just what they believe in and don't pander to the industry around them they never use like a blueprint from another artist to stick on another one and be like well we this worked with them like well this worked with false so we'll do we'll do the same with you whatever. Right. like every single thing is like thought out very specifically with whoever they're working with and they like yeah they're just a group of people all with like that know all their different skill sets and they use them really well like mm. I, I can't really like big them up like enough I mean that vote of confidence signing that publishing deal did that have this huge knock-on effect for you in the way that you saw yourself yeah well I was like okay here we go it was like that thing and again not not to be sound arrogant it was it was just this very like quiet self-assurance that I had that I would be doing this and so things like that like having a publishing deal coming in having management interested and then suddenly a label behind me it was like and it all happened quite quickly it was like 
yeah, here's, here's the beginning. Off we go. Like, this is, it's happened now. And now this is my job. And that's exactly why foresaw for myself which feels very strange because it's like maybe can I see it to the future um yeah, but it also feels good yeah, yeah yeah that's me like but yeah no it's um it was really nice it, like I mean nice is like an understatement it was just a really uh it made me feel very safe to like just have that like you said it's a vote of confidence and it was kind of like here I am like fresh out of like an art foundation like only out of school for like a year and I'm... 20 you think you're you think you know everything yeah but I'm 20 year olds yeah <laughs> I do have to say I do think that like as a teenager growing into now late 20 year old human being like I have always been very much just like I think my parents instilled in me an attitude of you don't know any like jack shit yeah so like just <laughs> sit down and get taught and it's like okay so I think is your brother to, older? Yeah, I'm the youngest in my entire family, so I have had to just like also just sit down and be taught. But yeah, which is, I think it's a really nice way to be there. I'm really happy that it was like that because I've I've learned so much along the way. Um, but it's never felt like I've, I've felt challenged by that learning curve. It's just felt like a welcome thing. I mean, at twenty, how realised was your vision? Looking looking back now, um, I mean, I've always been quite clear in my head about with every like project and every album that's come mm. along I've kind of known what I wanted to do with it my, and like I said my vision was always just kind of like I just want to keep on doing it and be able to and live off it you know that's I've yeah. got to make a living otherwise I can't do it I think if, if if my personality was shining through on the earlier records it would seem like I was like some goth that didn't come out of like my bedroom ever and was like super emo and didn't talk to anyone and was obsessed with like rotting flesh and and, like blood which is like not true I think it was a case of like um just strong imagery and conjuring up very strong like sensory imagery so it was it was like bringing up like smells and and visuals and and feelings and, and kind of um, fears and things like that alongside music that was kind of pushing harmonic boundaries in a weird way so it's all quite like trippy and strange um, and dark and it was definitely like flexing a darkness in me it was also expressing um, sort of romantic sad sides of me but then it all in very like metaphorical ways and that's the big difference is that now when you, I mean there's the sense of humor is also still there in the first few like EPs and stuff like I'm making it really dark but like Maybe the music's a bit more upbeat and I'm kind of making these weird like word plays about shit. Um, but cut to now and it's it's like just having a conversation really with me. It's just like upfront and direct and I'm just talking about stuff that I think is um, important to hear, you know. I always want to talk, like I always want to sing in a way that I feel like I would want to hear something sung to me. Um, so that's kind of what I've been doing. The actual life, I'm trying not to say lifestyle, um, the actual kind of day-to-day element of, of being an artist, I feel like there's, tell me if I'm wrong, but there's, it feels like there's a lot of like hurry up and wait. Yeah. So when things happen, they happen real quick. Yeah. And then there's this, call it a lull, call, I don't yeah, know, whatever. Doldrums. doldrums. Yeah. Great word. Thank you. <laughs> and um, has that ever like panicked you? That yes. <laughs> literally what I'm feeling like right now. <laughs> I normally deal with it really well, um, where I see days spent um, doing nothing, in inverted commas, mm. you know, sitting at my desk, staring in space, or even like just going for a long walk and kind of getting out and, and trying to move around. 
I see those as very much all part of the creative process. Because ultimately at the end of the day, like if in the next three weeks I've written a song, that was all part of like that journey to get to that point. So like I kind of, it's just another day spent doing something, even if it feels like you're doing nothing. So I try and like, I try and bring it into as a, uh, an active part of it, even though it feels very inactive. Um, but because you need those experiences, yeah, exactly. And it's a bit. It's like the thing I'm struggling with at the moment. Also, I do keep forgetting that I've just made a covers record, and I did actually do like I have actually been creative and have made something quite yeah. recently. Right, we haven't even talked about that yet. <laughs> yeah, that's the, late, the latest <laughs> thing. Um, and I kind of I'm feeling like at the moment just. Um, and I think a lot of people, I think this is more to do with the year that we've been having, mm. but just complete kind of inertia. Like I just have no drive and I've been writing bits and I ha- I do have stuff like there's some stuff that's like ready to go and there's other stuff that's like ideas that I've recorded. And But I feel like it. I get panicked because the further away I get from having written something that I really loved... Um, to me, the harder it is to like break down that wall. It's like if it's like ice that's building up, and like every time I write a record, I'm chipping and chipping and chipping. Mm. And by the time I finish that record, the wall is so thin, it's like everything's coming across like real fucking easy, and I could just take it and I just get it. And then when I have a little bit of time off, I'm touring, it's like the, it just starts freezing back up again. And mm. it's just this like, I start getting this panic after it's been like a year and a half, or whatever. Um, where it's like, God, I'm going to have to start chipping again. And the chipping is the frustrating part because it's bits and bobs, it's stuff here and there, it's like flashes of light, you're kind of getting it. But it's not this like amazing just rush of like creative flow. Working with transgressive, how often are they checking in with you? And is that something you can discuss with them? And is are they like a, you know, like sort of a best friend in that sense? Yeah, they, they're really good at that. Uh, Tim, who's at trans- transgressive, he is sort of like my creative, like bouncing off guy and I feel very like I don't feel scared to say like I'm really struggling to write at the moment or whatever and he what he's kind of read everything and heard everything and seen everything that's ever existed so he'll send me over like albums I should listen to or like a book I should read and he's like really good because it kind of it takes my brain out of the kind of uh the focus on the the draining of it like it in sits it back more into like let's fill this back up again like let's let's feed you before I try and sit down and kind of like work you um which is something I always forget to do and actually like sitting down and reading is like a really good thing but again when I'm in the middle of writing an album and I've got like seven tracks under my belt like I'll be reading like a maniac as well at the same time but it doesn't it's like everything switches off and then everything switches on there's like there's not really any middle ground are there particular genres of, of books that you lean towards uh no just kind of anything really yeah. i mean i love i like my tastes across everything so it's like music film and books and everything is like i love pure trash yeah and then i also love kind of like stretching my brain a bit and being challenged and kind of like maybe going into like places of emotion with stuff that make me feel uncomfortable but i also love mm-hmm. to like you know sit back and read like whatever some like bestseller that everyone's reading i also just get that like fomo thing of like well if everyone's reading it then i want to know what all the fuss is about like i have read all of the 50 shades of gray books because i was like these suck there are three of them i read all three of them they all wow. suck really but at least i know that because i actually <laughs> not because i'm just being a snob and going out like oh they're oh she's reading 50 shades of gray like i have read those books and they all categorically suck and i can say that because i've read them so like 
I, I like to just like absorb trash and I, I can read fast so it's like it's kind of like eating you books. read fast yeah. that's, that's a trick and you talked about sort of going for walks or doing things just to get like well I'm sort of putting my two cents in it to get experiences yeah have there has there been time throughout the years because I mean 10 years is a long long time yeah were there times throughout the years where you thought okay I need to get some kind of stimulation from other doing other things um yeah I mean I always have constant thoughts about like potential other things I could be doing that might also be like just a bit kinder to myself um because yeah. in terms of like going out and finding stimulus I also just do find that quite hard like often like walking and, and swimming and things like that to just kind of calm my brain down and just like relax um de-stress like try and keep anxiety at bay and things like that just get the body moving um but when I'm kind of thinking about other things I could be doing like I would love to do something that was creative that is much more logic based so it's things like carpentry or like uh, cooking and things like that where it's you could have a creative flair but ultimately like it is like scientific or mathematical and it's rooted in just making stuff really well and really perfectly like I'm a freak when it comes to like chopping vegetables like I'm like so anal about it <laughs> Amazing. Like, like what's your tiny concept? Cubes, just like tiny little cubes, and like they have to be perfect. Because it's like if you if you do something good from the bottom up, the payoff at the end is going to be so much bigger than if you just like try and make it better in the last ten minutes. Like it's all about that long game, and that's kind of like my career. It's like every little thing is just step by step, and making sure each one of those steps, like I'm really really happy with, and that if I was ever like to go back a few steps I could say happily like yes this is I'm really proud of that and it's I think you can hear that in records as well such as yours and such as other great records in the way that on the third or fifth listen yeah you'll be like oh I didn't I didn't notice that yeah, the first yeah, yeah. time I love that in, in records where you it's like I love it when you you listen to record and you kind of feel like mm, okay yeah there's like two or three tracks in here I'm gonna cane them pretty hard like they're usually the singles the kind of those immediate hitters and then you'll have it on it'll start kind of like it'll go into the track afterwards or something and you kind of just let you just run with it again it's and then it's like track. oh hang on a minute oh and it's like if you can have a record that basically keeps you fed for like six months because even if you're playing it on repeat because every single time like you're hearing something different and a song you've either been playing like loads and loads and loads or like a whole brand new song that's like you've got to enjoy it's it's amazing it's like a full-on like that's to me the purpose of it like completely similar to books as well I mean you can read a book that's like you kind of pretty you know you're wading through the density maybe a quarter of the way through and you're like where is this going yeah Secret History by Donna Tartt is one of my favourites for that great book because you're like this is is this good and then you're like at the end of it you're like that was amazing yeah and there's that little sort of touch and go confusion you know kind of wading water in the middle yeah but and then you start that yeah again that payoff and you like stick with it and you yeah. have put the groundwork in and you have read the first you know like three hundred pages and suddenly you're like ah I'm into this now like yeah get yeah. it it's yeah. great it's awesome and then you finish it you're like that was the best thing I ever read or like ever listened to or like ever ate you know it's like it's across everything I just think that it just makes sense like you put in the work and you you build you build the blocks up with like full intention and like just uh, care from the start like all the way and then by the time you get to the end it's going to be a hundred times better than if you just you know an extra hundred percent at the last in the last like two days of making something that's just going to be like putting cream on a poo 
Which I think some people try and get away with. Yeah, they do. Yeah, definitely. Have you always been thinking about a record? Have you always been like in the midst of just, you know, chipping away at that big ice block? Yeah, pretty much. It's kind of like since I started, like, so when I was just doing it on my own, like before I had any interest from anyone else anyway, I was always just writing songs just to kind of try it. And like, because I enjoyed it as a, a pastime basically at home. And then obviously when people get involved and then it's like, okay, so what was it? The first thing was we're going to do a mini album. So I had seven tracks and a couple of them I had already had written. So that was the first time I recorded anything was that Untaste. And that was actually the, where I used up most of the songs I've been writing when I was like a teenager. So I recorded that and then after that it's like, okay, now I want an EP. So right, okay, I'll do another, I've got to write like three or four tracks. That was the kind of label choice. Yeah, yeah, but it's like, you know, you sit down and you work out. Work together. Like, yeah, like right. what journey you want to go on. And in a way, having it defined into like sections is quite useful rather than just sitting and being like, I need to write. And it's kind of, yeah, it was just that into like two EPs and it was like, now, now you've got to write an album. And then it was like, now you've got to write another album and now you've got to write another album. And it's like, then I go and tour and then I come home and I sit at my desk and I try and write another album and then I go and record it. And it's quite like a, it's just a cycle that goes round and round again. Can you see where you're going for the next one? I mean, I know you said that you're sort of feeling a bit lost right now, yeah. but when you when you put out the third one, did you, was it a bit like, I know where I'm going to go next? I had some ideas and I think they still stand. And I think working on the covers record as well has given me um, a nice insight into some more production techniques and things like that that I'll be using maybe in, a, as a, in more of a as a songwriting tool coming into this next one. But, like, we'll just see. At the moment, I'm really just focusing on, like, just getting the core of some like solid songs down and then seeing seeing what happens trying not to get too lost in a concept before it's fully realized it for itself but I kind of know the lessons I've learned and where I want to go with it um have you had many of those where where you're like oh I shouldn't shouldn't have done that what like on a record yeah or maybe live or a working relationship or um, not to smear anyone's name <laughs> but I, I mean, yeah, it's just experience a scroll no yeah. I like I I I mean, this is such a boring answer because anyone listening to this is going to be like, give me the, give me the dirt. But mm. I really try not to have regrets and it kind of really works in, in the industry, not in life. Like I have regrets <laughs> splattered all over my <laughs> personal life. But like it's, um, yeah, it, it's, again, it's just that thing of like welcoming the learning curve and mm. not being like that kind of like bullheaded, like, like oh like getting angry like if I fuck up or I did something slightly wrong it's like no cool that was again it's just part of the journey it's like a day where I couldn't couldn't write you know but like it's just part of it so like yeah there's stuff I mean that I always when it comes to like listening to mixes after I've made records I'll listen to them and I'll just be like it sounds good it sounds good enough to me like this is fine and I'm actually probably don't go into them as hard as I could and then it's like maybe like if I listen back to a record like a year later I'll be like oh damn I should have I should have like highlighted that bit or right got that sorted out but that is the only shit that like I would notice anyway so that's why I just let it go you could sit with something for so so long and it's just not worth it I think the getting angry side of it is <clears throat> seems like a real smart thing to do especially as it's it, you're in the first decade of your ideally what four or five decade career but is that something that you think about as well you're like no I'm still new to this I'm still yeah I feel like I'm still I still have a lot to learn I think my journey is like going to be littered with like 
road bumps coming up. And that more more to do with my own emotional stamina and like ego. That's that those are gonna be my problems. Like or well, those are gonna, gonna hold be, you those will be things that probably like get in the way of me being able to focus on just being purely creative. Like it's all the ex it's all the noise. Yeah. It's quite yeah. difficult and the, and just the stamina, like the older I'm getting, like it's it's just a bit harder to keep really fresh and excited about everything and want to keep pushing through. But it's like, I know that when I write a new song, I have like, it's, it's like a drug. Honestly, it's like the, the like hit after you've written a song is insane. And it's like, you just feel amazing. And I know that once I'm back in that, it's just been like, like I say, it's ideas flying around, but I haven't had that eureka moment for like, I I need, I need it. (laughs) I need my fix. And it's just like, when that comes back in, it will be, probably this rush you know and that'll be amazing and also like obviously I miss playing live like that gives you a really great feeling too and like seeing people physically in front of you and like meeting people and it's just the longest I've gone without playing a show I think and I wonder if I mean slightly saying true to the podcast does touring feel like the more job side of it Mm, yes and no it's like it it's the more like regimented side of it and yeah. where you know you have a job to do that's very clean cut and actually that's why I really like it like you have a schedule yeah you have to be you know meet in the lobby at nine like get, drive yeah. for three hours like get in load in like set up sound check to play the show like load down get out and everything like that so it's just like it's very cut and dry and that's really nice compared to like pulling things out of thin air but then in a way the emotional the emotionally taxing side of the creative part like make does also actually make it feel more like a, a job because it that's more draining and more tiring so they they both have like different pros and cons and when you i mean so many bands go on tour to get paid yeah but that's not necessarily the case with you well it's just one of those things where like i think touring is is a really lucrative thing for a lot of people like once you hit a certain bracket but if you're just basically nudging that bracket with your nose like the whole time it's just is quite expensive especially when you start doing european touring and american mm. touring and yeah. if your label can't fully like fund an entire tour you know so then you're paying out of your own pocket i mean you're kind of paying out of your own pocket of the label funding it anyway but like mm. if you're literally paying out of your own like money set aside to live off to be able to go on tour, you know, it's like, and I, loads of people don't realise that, like, I I pay to go on tour, like... Are, are we talking, like, train fares to go get the van in Watford? Oh, it's all of it. I mean, it's, it's not, it's like, if you think about, if I was um, touring Europe with my band, like, if we're going to break it down in quite, like, a, a boring way, but here we yeah, go, it's yeah. like, you. so we'll have... Um, obviously a van hire so for every single day of that tour let's say it's four weeks so that's like a lot of money yeah. there'll be hotel rooms for every single night that's the actually we do two we do two hotel rooms every single night it's girls in one room boys in the other room there's also the day rate for every single person working for me on that tour so that's five people's daily wage that I'm also paying there's uh, per DMs that are paid out to everyone as well on top of that um, There's and then there's probably a bit of gear hire going on at some point potentially like it's just a lot. All the fuel spent yeah. driving across the whole yeah. of Europe. Like yeah. you can just you can just keep going and going and going. Yeah. It's like yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it just all like completely rolls up on itself. And the fees that you'll be getting, especially if it's a support tour, are going to be like way down. Touring's still the best way to get your music heard, is it? Uh, yeah, I imagine so. I mean, I don't really know anymore to be honest. Right. It's just so like I think 
the internet has obviously like made everything pretty wild. Uh, like a great way of getting your music heard is like people hearing it online because mm. you're not paying for that to happen. Mm. But like the most rewarding way of having people hear your music is to like play it to them. Also, I think people really appreciate it when you when they can like come and see you and like be in a room together and hear things. And like a lot of people do just go to gigs for artists they haven't even heard of to like hear for them for the first time, which I think is really cool. Like I think it's a really nice way of discovering new music. And I think like when you're going to like small towns in the UK or like cities in Europe, which people don't tour so much, like the way people respond is like just so like, excited to have people coming through and yeah. like actually playing their towns like how I kind of would have been you know like Destiny's Child are coming to Southampton like, yeah <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> I love I love you know I think it's never it's never really depleted in my life from going to a show and whether I know the band or I don't know the band yeah just sort of studying the musicianship yeah and studying each person mm-hmm. and then it's great seeing a band that you love and you know really well and it might be your umpteenth time seeing them yeah. and it's great to see those songs evolve yeah 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 and just in those ways, just in those in the way that songs do when you're on tour a lot. Completely, they just they turn into completely different beasts. Like songs change so much from playing them now. Like the way that I sing them will change. Like my inton- intonation will change and stuff like that because yeah. I start kind of like playing around with different ideas. Some people don't like that. I know. <laughs> don't I don't do a, it too much. Don't I look at the comments. It, yeah, no, I try and keep it pretty similar. But we do like to like, you know, a record's a record, a show's a show, and like yeah. I like doing stuff like. Um, segues into different songs and like having little wig out sessions and things that aren't necessarily on the record because I think it's kind of just adds a bit something a bit more special yeah and I don't want them to sound you know like exactly how they do on the record they sound live but you can't really achieve that unless you're like a pop star using loads of tracks right and I feel like I mean do you feel like you have a duty to think about that or is that something you can just be like I don't want to think too much about it it's taking out the you know the intuitiveness of it you know the immediacy of it what thinking about changing songs of you know of songs evolving I kind of do think about it I'm, I'm quite meticulous I'm not and I think it's partly to do with my maybe lack of confidence in terms of like my skills as a guitarist but like I'm not someone who's ever really been able to like improvise much um and I don't practice improvising either which is probably something I should do so much like in the way that when I'm writing and producing and arranging and things like that like it's very meticulous, like the way that I chop vegetables. It's kind of like, so when I'm thinking about the live set, I'm kind of working out like how we can like squish these two songs together, what's going to work well, or like how we strip something back and like build it up again. Yeah. And like, yeah. it's then it's like when we're all in the room together and we're kind of throwing some ideas around, then it, then it turns into a bit more natural, but I certainly always have a backbone of, of kind of knowing where I want it to go. And has that changed with the producing? I mean, you said earlier that you sort of learning, picking up a few production tips how, how did you make the covers record so that was all on my own at, really at home yeah. amazing upstairs um, here i split between here and my parents house great so i was down there for a few weeks during lockdown and i was here finishing it off and yeah just me on logic on my computer and wow. with a few toys um and, and mic and did you know logic before that or was it something yeah, yeah, yeah. no cool. so i i so i like have been using i mean obviously start you always everyone starts on garage band uh when they were kids so i used to make demos on garage band and i got logic later on when I was actually starting to take music a bit more seriously so I've always worked on Logic I've always recorded my own demos and kind of just like built them up so for the first album I would like do quite built up demos and then take them in with Charlie Andrew and he would then we'd just strip it back and then he would build up again in the studio so it's quite like a it's really fun because there's a lot of serendipitous kind of like exciting stuff that happens that yeah 
you get that satisfaction kind of again and again and again every single day you go into the studio. Um, and then with the second record, who I worked with Charlie again on that one, um, because it was a live record working with the Big Moon as, as the backing band, I had to then start to really think about arrangements and things like that before we got into the studio so we could rehearse and take right. it in. So though it kind of stepped it up a notch in terms of how much I was doing prep work before going and you, in. Presumably your like role of band leader yeah. Was that the first time that happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, I had I'd gone on the road with the band, but like that, it's already kind of done. Whereas yeah. this was like a band leader kind of having to be like, guys, let's rehearse, let's get in, and yeah. like, and obviously, I mean, they're my friends, they're like really close friends of mine, so it wasn't like, guys, um, it was a very enjoyable experience, and they were all also. I wanted them to bring stuff to the table as well, like it, as much as I'm a control freak, like I picked them because I really like the way they play music. So, yeah. um, so that was really fun, and that gave me a lot of confidence in terms of arrangements and things like that. So, coming into album three which was a co-produce with David Wrench. So I didn't I, know that. Yeah, I co-produced that record. And actually, if you listen to the demos, um, it was a case of this time around, having had these like really built-up demos. So like I've written all the drum parts, like everything's in there, all right. done. And it was basically going to the studio. And unlike Charlie, who would probably say, let's strip it back and work on it, David was just like, right, from the bottom up, we're just going to re-record like, everything you've done, but just properly, like not in a home studio. Um, and then would add some stuff together at the end and he had ideas about certain sounds and things like that. So, right. But it was like very much um, taking what I'd done at home and just polishing it and making it sound... So then real. what's his job as a producer there then? So that his job as a producer there is um, basically finding the best ways of getting the sounds that I've kind of created already but like not in a shit way. <laughs> like, but it probably sounded all, all right. Yeah, but not it's not it's not like you know clear and punchy. And I went in being like, I want this to fucking like slap you around the face. I want it to be punchy, yeah. big. It needs to sound like crisp. It needs to sound like more polished than anything I've done. The rest was kind of grungy or like moody. And I want this to just be like a like bite you. So I come in and go, here's all my parts, but like, how are we going to do this? So his role then is is like, well, I've got this amazing pedal. Let's get this synth out. Let's try this right. one. We need and to it certainly has that. those sounds where you're like. You wonder if that if a part like that would be grungy on a demo. I mean, I yeah. guess you don't really listen to records like that. But thinking about it now, yeah. it, it does have this kind of, not electronic feel, but it, do you know what I mean? It's somewhere in the between. Yeah, yeah. I think also what was interesting with that record is I had a MIDI keyboard at my disposal for the first time. So I actually was working a lot more on like parts, but not on like nice synths as well. So that's where Davis was really useful because right. I had these parts going on and then he could make them sound really good. But yeah, it's kind of like bridging that gap because it's like kind of gnarly guitar parts but then yeah. there's like these kind of like French poppy kind of like like string parts and kind of these crazy drum rhythms going on and it's it was just gelling it all together and he was obviously a huge part of like really making it stick and did you did you pick up did you learn some things from that did that make you think like in terms of the next full length the next original full length yeah I think I was kind of like this worked really well I uh, yeah. that's generally been my feeling from any anyone I've worked with like Charlie and David and just kind of musicians and stuff along the way just when it feels like a success it's like it's maybe not so much been like oh, i learned x y and z but it's like oh cool we achieved this and yeah. that included all this stuff that i can't really like you know pinpoint out everything to list but i think it was a big confidence boost um doing a co-production and, and like feeling confident enough to actually like put my name to that which is nice i mean quite often you i mean growing up i certainly didn't really know what a producer did yeah and even sometimes now i'm not sure i mean I, <laughs> It's quite blurry, to be fair. Like, it can mean so many different things. 
for every different artist. It vibe can be can, Yeah, it can be vibe bringer. It could be like someone who's literally reconstructing your whole song and yeah. like making the whole thing and you come in and do a top line afterwards. That's still the producer or it's someone yeah. who's just, you know, like literally like being like, this sounds cool, let's hit record and making that choice for you. Yeah, yeah, right. So it's like, it's, it's a huge huge span of like what that can mean so did the covers record feel like a bit of a brave new world knowing that it wasn't a demo that it was going to be put out i mean did you know that it was going to be put out yeah yeah yeah. i knew it was going to be put out and it was like this thing of i know i can do this but it's weird not having that final bridge with Mm. someone holding my hand going over it where i'm like because i can fuck around here all i want and make a demo upstairs and just like um, flesh it all out make loads of parts and stuff and then I'll be like this is just me having fun because ultimately like I'm going to take it into the studio and someone else is going to sit there and say these bits work this bit doesn't let's redo that and all." And it's like cool now now I feel safe whereas this time it was like everything I'm choosing is the choice and that's that so like that is quite a scary thought but I kind of I kind of got over it pretty quickly, to be fair. I was more just like, then I just got lost in having fun again. Things might happen in the studio one day that would never, it feels, it feels like it would never happen any other day. Yeah, so yeah, having yeah. that kind of like weird kind of pressure over you, that, you know, that kind of... But actually, what was really good about it, because I have found, like both with when I was even like at art school and, and just musically, is when you have uh, parameters that you have to work within, that obviously that breeds like a whole new kind of creativity, which I find really useful because I find the black like blank page syndrome really stressful yeah and um so knowing that like um I wasn't taking it into the studio so I couldn't have live drums because like I didn't have enough mics to like mic up a kit so I couldn't have live drums um my vocals were gonna have to just be like how they were I was gonna have to edit them like which is just quite stressful so they were all gonna be pretty rough and ready like there wasn't gonna be going into a nice vocal booth the amount it takes I had to do on just like a single vocal line because someone would be drilling next door. This, yeah. These guys on this side, you said that, um, I think. or there would be like a bird, like at my parents' house, that was just really fucking loud, or like something like <laughs> my brother like working downstairs on a Zoom call, and it'd just be like, for fuck's sake, like. So that's all. It was just like logistics of it, and like what was great was Roland sent me um, a drum machine, so it's like the okay. TR8S, which is like. Um, got kind of every sound that from that's the one that you see that's like the ubiquitous is that like the drum machine that the classic one no it's so it's it's like it's like a late it's their latest like model and it's cool. like this big old just thing about this big, big. and it's, it's big and it's got yes yeah, so it's got every it's got every single sound from like any of their like classic machines and oh, also great. like loads of new stuff and you yeah. can tweak them all and play with them so that was amazing because I suddenly had this backbone for the record. So I knew I couldn't do live drums, but I had this new toy and it was, I've never really like done loads of drum machine stuff on, like I dabbled with it, but not as like a whole sound for a record. And that was a really great way of like layering stuff up. So it actually became, I went into it thinking, oh, it'll probably just be like a lot of me with like an acoustic guitar and just like keep it quite organic and quite minimal. And then it actually went way more electronic because that was like, the, the easier way of doing it actually it was like oh I can actually I can get some drum sounds and I can yeah. put them in and they'll sound like this and then well actually I'm not going to put an acoustic guitar on this let's try like a synth sound let's try building it up in a different way and just like lots of like chord bass and things like that and it kind of gave me this palette for the entire thing that just made it really gel yeah Grimes Grimes that was like a that's one of my favourite songs but it was also it's cool I've never so listened to Grimes before hard to sing really yeah it was so hard to sing wow her I'm voice just... is like 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. Mine's kind of like, <laughs> Did he bring it down there? I'm trying to... Try yeah, and... like two tones, I think. Or right. a tone and a half. And just... it took you a little while to transform those songs. Stick with them. Yeah, actually that one... Um, sorry, 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 tea. Um, that one was um, around for a long time. So before I actually decided to make this album, I had a couple of... I had that one and Beyonce just like kicking around on my computer but only like the first verse and then mm. the chorus and um I liked what I had at the time that I made it but that was a long time ago so cut to like a year ahead or a year and a half like further forward and listening to it back when I was embarking on making this record I was like actually I've I've moved on I've, I've changed right. yeah so yeah. I kind of stripped it back and like gutted it and then tried to just like with any good cover it's about capturing like basically the essence of why you think it's a good song but putting your stamp on it and and like not letting them fight too much you've got to find that perfect equilibrium of everything that makes it cool like strip it down to like just those bits and then try and like wrap a little bit of your own identity around it well thank you so much it's been a good hour chatting oh great and i feel like the sort of format allows for like the time frame to be like dig into the the smaller questions like producing and yeah yeah so thanks so much for you know, giving me, making me privy. <laughs> My pleasure. So <laughs> um, but that's cool. Yeah. Thanks so much. Sweet. Great. So that was Marika Hackman on the show. Like I say, if you liked this episode or you like this show, please pass it on. Let people know about it. That would be amazing. Cheers. Here's Cox Barrow. I've been working all day for me mate on the side. Running around like a blue ass fly. I've been working. Yeah, I've been working all day for me mate. This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.